for leading us <coughs> each week. Just want to thank them for the time that they put in to do that. Just a couple of things before we move into the message today. <coughs> um, I want to just, uh, how many people this week had an opportunity or took the opportunity to share the gospel with someone? <coughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight people. <clears throat> Remember, probably the most important thing you did this week, right? <clears throat> I mean, what could be more important than sharing the gospel? A life-determining message. And so uh, I think each one of you shared. We're going to pray again before we start for those uh, people. Father, we thank you today for these eight people who shared this week the gospel. We think uh, you know who those people are, and uh, we pray that that, f that seed would bear fruit. And uh, Father, this is why we're here. This is why you've left us here. We can have a good time together in heaven. In fact, we're going to sing one day, and Lord, this is a great time this morning, but this is going to be nothing compared to to what it will be like to be gathered with every nation, tribe, tongue, millions of people together, uh, standing and worshiping you with, with music like we have never heard. And so, Father, we can do that with you. But, Lord, we, when that day comes, the, the time of opportunity will be gone. And so you, you have left us here to, to share the message of the gospel with a very broken world. And so we thank you for those uh, this week that took that opportunity to share that great message and uh, just bless. Father, we pray now as, as we move into this uh, topic today that we're going to be looking at, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, open our eyes to see this truth, because Lord, I just, I believe this is such an important concept today we're going to be looking at together, and uh, I pray we just be able to see it and understand it. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I remember when uh, we got married, and Vicky told me that her parents had, had were buying us a wedding gift. I said, oh, "Really? Because that you know, uh, <clears throat> it was kind of exciting, and you're young, and you don't have very much." And <clears throat> so, uh, it wasn't a trip to uh, Hawaii or a cruise. You didn't hear much of that back in those days. It was, and uh, she told me, her folks were going to get us an Electrolux. And I thought, Electrolux, isn't that one of those things that you mix cakes, mixes on the stove, you know, on the kitchen with? And uh, she said, no. And I was a little relieved. She said, no, it's a vacuum cleaner, okay? <clears throat> and uh, I was not very excited, to be honest with you. I thought, you know, what do you do? You know, you, I mean, I've been, I've been to school. I had never vacuumed my house when I was single. <clears throat> And uh, I didn't really understand the value or even usage of a, uh, a, a vacuum cleaner. But I discovered something. This was kind of the day before you didn't hear much about shop vacs. And, and I, just, I just remember thinking after we got it, I thought, wow, we, this is really beneficial. I mean, we use it all the time. And anytime we spilled something, there's a mess. We get the Electrolux out and vacuum it up. And... Uh, I really began to see how important that item was in, in any home. 
This morning, I'm going to talk about something, and when I mention what it is, you, you might have a similar response. Because this morning, we're going to talk about the mortification of the flesh. Okay? Exciting? <laughs> yeah. Mortification of the flesh. <clears throat> I mean, it just sounds a little morbid. But I, uh, I'm really excited about this truth because it is it, it affects us. And it's not something that we need to be aware of once a month or once a week. It's something that we need to be aware of every single day. So we're going to talk about that. Here is our key text. We're going to be looking at a number of passages. And uh, this is the first one. Romans chapter 8, 12 and 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters this morning, we have an obligation... But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you... He says, if you by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That is our key text. This concept, Romans 8... Specifically there, verse 13, where it says, If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, uh, the original, earlier translation says, If you mortify, that's the word that was used there, If you mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. So this is a life and death issue that we're talking about. Uh, imagine if we had gathered here today, and this, this was a conference, okay? And we were gathered, and the invitation went out to on, oncologists who had significant, at least 15 years experience in the treatment of the four primary cancers. Lung cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, and... Uh, Lung, colon, breast, and prostate cancer. Those are the four top cancers in our nation. Let's say we had gathered today, and we had gathered with those of you who have had, you had to have 15 years of experience in that area. But then we had one other ingredient to the conference. And that is that every oncologist here, in this meeting, gathered together, had to have a confirmed, a confirmed diagnosis of lung, prostate, all of those, one of those four cancers. And so you couldn't attend, not if you didn't have 15 years in treating it, but you, had, you actually had one of those cancers. And we were here to discuss today a finding, a, a discovery that there is a cure for each of these cancers, but it must be followed strictly and specifically if it's going to work. I want you to just think about the interest that there would be in, 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 such, a, in such a conference. Well, I suggest to you this morning that we have gathered as a group of people and we've had, many of us probably, if you're 15 years old, then you've had 15 years of experience 
with this. Not only have you had, had experience with this disease, but you have it. And it is far more serious than cancer. It is the disease of sin. It has permeated every organ in your body. It has permeated every tissue and every cell, uh, to use terms of someone that might walk out of the doctor and say, I have cancer everywhere. It's all over in my body. There is, however, this cure. There is something that can, and, and it, it, is a tr it is a transfusion from the outside. It, you, you cannot develop it from within yourself. And it can begin to build new healthy cells. They will begin to overpower the cancer cells in your body. And if, if you will follow this, that you can grow stronger and stronger and your organs can function to a higher capacity and a higher capacity. And one day, one day, if you're, if you're willing to keep on this path, you can be completely, fully, totally healed. That's an analogy to what I'm talking about and we're going to be looking at here today. One of the great minds, probably, potentially, one of the greatest minds that ever wrote on this topic, we're going to be looking at, the mortification of the flesh, was a man by the name of John Owen. How many of you have heard of John Owen? How many have heard of John Owen? <clears throat> okay, maybe two or three people. Probably, there's probably a couple reasons why you haven't heard of John Owen. He lived, he's born in 1616. He was an English Puritan. And in terms of his personal life, there was a tradition in, in Puritan tradition was that when you died, they burned all your journals. And so, you know, all this personal information that might go into a great, you know, biography is gone. So we know... All we know about John Owen is what he wrote, and he wrote some amazingly deep theological articles. But we don't really know much about him personally, so maybe that's one reason why we, we haven't heard a lot about him. I'll tell you one thing about him, two things about him. Number one is he lived during the time of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and he was trying to get John Bunyan out of prison which God didn't answer that prayer, which may have seemed like a tragedy, but it was out of his time in prison that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. The other thing about John, or about John Owen is that he had 11 children. Of his 11 children, 10 of them never reached the age of 18. They all died. And his daughter, one daughter who made it past 18, died of tuberculosis as a young adult. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about having 10 children and basically losing every single one of them. It either makes you bitter or it makes you better. And evidently, that experience drove John Owen to a, a deep passion. We know he had a deep passion for Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at some of his teaching, his teaching on mortification of the body. It is, this teaching is, reading John Owen is kind of like mining gold. Uh, 
you have to dig through it. His reading was really hard to, if you were just to read it, you'd probably read through it and go, what is he saying? But as you dig through it, there's, there's like finding gold in what he wrote. And many godly men, J.I. Packer, one of them, has said John Owen has by far the greatest influence on his life of any writer he has ever read, contemporary or past. And so I, I consider it a privilege in just a few moments. We're going to look at, this morning, we're going to look at five points that he shares uh, in terms of understanding mortification of the flesh and what that all means. <clears throat> Before we do that, <clears throat> I want to define mortification, and then we're going to look at the context in which it fits, and then we're going to move into these truths. Now, it may sound a little technical this morning, as I share with you, but I'm going to challenge you that this is so... This is so practical in terms of what you and I deal with on a daily basis in our lives. So I just encourage you to hang with me here. <clears throat> okay, mortification. To mortify is where we get the words. It's a Latin word. It's where we get mortuary and mortician. That gives you a little sense of what it might involve. It means to kill, to subdue, to limit... It is self-denial of the body and the appetite. So if you're going to mortify your flesh, what you have to do is you have to subdue it, you have to limit it, you have to... It involves self-denial of your body and your appetites. That's what it means to mortify. To be mortified... <clears throat> to be mortified means to be humiliated embarrassed. It means, the word literally means tissue death, which sounds kind of strange. But another word here is that it means to be weakened. It means to not be in good health. And so if you're going to mortify something, you're going to begin to destroy its health. You're going to begin to weaken its tissue. You're going to humiliate it. And so, in the end, the result is that our flesh, our sinful nature, this old man, these are all terms that the Bible uses to describe what dwells within us, is if you're going to mortify something, you're going to leave it weak and powerless and unhealthy. So that's the goal of mortification is to weaken your flesh and your self-nature and to create dishealth in your own flesh. So let's look at the context then of mortification here in terms of where this fits in our life and then we'll look at these five statements of John Owen. Here's the context. <clears throat> we were born with a disease. We were born with a disease which is sin. David said, in sin my mother conceived me. So we all, you know, from the day we were born, if you don't believe that, just look at your little infant. Life is totally about them, right? What they want, what they need, what they, you know, not just what they need, but what they want. They want it now. They're not patient. And so our flesh is very much like that. As we grow up, we just get more sophisticated in our self-focus. 
So that's the disease that we are born with. God's given us a test to see if we have the disease. It's called the Ten Commandments. So he gives us a test. Have you ever lied? You ever taken anything that wasn't yours? Ever took the Lord's name in vain, treated it casually? You ever dishonored your parents? You ever murdered? No, I never murdered. Then Jesus said, well, if you've hated your brother, if you've called him a fool, you've murdered him in your heart. I've never you ever committed adultery. Well, if you've lusted Jesus. So pretty much we go through the Ten Commandments and we go, I've got every symptom there. You know, like those tests you see online to see if you have something, go through these symptoms? The Ten Commandments were given for you to see if you have the disease. A lot of people think the purpose that God gave us the Ten Commandments is so we could keep them. That's not the reason he gave them to us. Not that he doesn't desire that we keep the Ten Commandments, but God, the Scripture says, God knows that when we held up the Ten Commandments to our life, we would see very clearly that we have this disease called sin. So we see here that the diagnosis and the cure is clearly stated. You cannot be cured without outside invention, outside intervention. You cannot cure yourself. You cannot save yourself. And so we see that the Bible is always is about this help we need from the outside. It's kind of like you go to the doctor and, and you've been having heart problems and the doctor comes out and he says, you know what? We can't cure your heart. It's too far gone. We, your only hope is a heart transplant. Your only hope is, is a heart from someone outside of yourself. And so we see that the process of, of being cured and being healed is this process, what we call in the Bible, it's a big word, sanctification. And this is what to sanctify means. It means to purify, to set apart for a special purpose. It means to make holy. So God's wanting to purify, and he does that by healing our hearts He is wanting to set you apart for a special purpose. He's wanting to make you holy. And so there's three stages of that. There's sanctification begun. Just hang with me here as we go through this, because it will help us see where where this topic fits in this morning. Sanctification begun is 100% God's work. We acknowledge our sin before God. We believe that God is offering a new start, a new heart, that he's offering us life, a new nature through faith in Christ. Nothing we could do. It's it's simply through our faith in what Christ did on that cross to deal with our sin. And because of that, God is now offering us this new heart. And we are now treated as if we had never sinned. We are now adopted. We're brought into God's family. He's treating us like his own children. We are co-heirs with Christ. Our lives are opened up now to the presence of God. We can come boldly into his presence. All this is completed and accomplished in the first stage of sanctification. So that's the sanctification begun. The second step is sanctification then continued. So... God's saying, okay, now that you're one of my kids, you really need to start acting like one of them. 
Okay? And so, you know, we have grown up in these, you know, apart from God and apart from His Spirit. So we've, we've grown up in these self-centered, dysfunctional homes with all kinds of patterns and ways of doing things. And, you know, we didn't get our way. We throw a tantrum. And now God's saying, look, you're, you're no longer a child of the devil. You're a child of God. You're no longer enslaved to sin. Now, this is, I, I want to make you holy. And so sanctification continued is this process then of change. It's beginning to live out from this new nature instead of this old nature. The, the new man instead of the old flesh. And so this is the process of sanctification continued. And then the third step is sanctification completed. One day, we will not only be viewed or treated as righteous, we will be righteous. We will be holy. We will be pure. But listen to this. It will not happen. It will not happen until you put off the body of flesh, and that will not happen until you die. Not going to happen. And so sanctification completed will never happen in this life till you put off this flesh. And we'll find out why that's true in just a little bit. So, sanctification begun. God did that. Sanctification continued, beginning to live up with now how God sees us and positions us. And then sanctification completed. Mortification of the flesh is what happens in the second part of that. In the sanctification continued. That is the area that we're talking about when we talk about mortification of the flesh. I want you to imagine that you're in a cell. You're in a prison cell and you can't get out. And your captors are, are ruthless. They deceive you. They, they continually lie. They torture you. And they want to kill you. And now a rescuer comes. And he grabs them by the throat, your captors, and he says, give me the keys to this cell. And they turn over the keys. And he doesn't destroy them at that moment in time, although he will. But he takes away their right and their power to keep you locked up. He takes away, in essence, the keys. He walks over, he opens the cell door, and now you are free. You are free to go. You no longer have to stay. You can walk away. Your captors no longer have the power to detain you and to torture you and to deceive you. Now, that's what it means when the Bible says that we have died to sin. Because the Bible says we have died to sin. So, you know, if we have died to sin, then how come we have to keep, how come we have to mortify or put to death sin? I thought when we invited Christ that sin was put to death. Well, sin is put to death in terms of its right to detain you and its right to control you. 
It no longer has the power to keep you enslaved. It no longer has the power to keep the cell door locked. That's what it means when it says we have died to sin. It no longer has dominion over you. And so that's something that's completed. That's a kind of dying to sin that has happened. But the second stage of sanctification is all about walking out of that cell and walking away from our captors. It's the process of going from prison and walking into freedom. And so in that stage, you know, I, I mean, the messages God is saying, is, I, I know they used to beat you up, but you no longer need to be afraid. I know they asked you to do perverse, perverse things in there, but you, don't, you, don't, you no longer need to do them. I know they told you you were worthless, that you amounted to nothing, but you don't need to believe them anymore. You need to get out of there. You need to walk away. They can't keep you. That, that old way of thinking and acting when you were enslaved, you need to put that to death. You need to think in totally different ways. You need to see yourself in a totally different way. You need to put off all those lies and all that junk that they were telling you. And you need to, you need to mortify. You need to subdue. You need to put to death all of that stuff. <clears throat> now, they are still alive. Your captors are still alive. But as far as you are concerned, you need to treat them as if they were dead because they no longer have any power over you. So we are called to, to in terms of our captors, we're, we're called to mortify, to humiliate, to embarrass, to limit, to subdue, to put them to death. So, <clears throat> these are those sinful deeds of our flesh. And again, that key passage, Romans 8, 12. Here's a definition. Mortification is putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Mortification is putting to death the misdeeds of the body, and those misdeeds of the body are the things that are seeking to destroy us. <clears throat> okay, here we go. I'm going to walk through five, uh, five key points here. Number one, and these come from Owen's teaching, and you'll see they come right out of the scripture. It is a duty, the daily duty of all Christians to mortify the deeds of the flesh. It is the daily duty of all Christians to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Jesus put it this way in Luke 9 and verse 23. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. So you and I are called to take up a cross daily. What does a cross represent? A cross represents death. And so this is something we do daily. If you're not doing this daily, 
then, then you're not going to be free. You're going to remain in that cell to some degree, on some level. So it's something we do daily. It's not something that happened around the campfire when we were 10 years old and we went forward uh, and asked Jesus into our life. This isn't something that just happened at a moment in time. This is something that you have to do every day. This is a daily work. Christ came not just so that you would be free from the penalty of sin, but he came so that you would be free from the power of sin to control you. And you have to die daily. You have to mortify the flesh on a daily basis. He also says it's our daily duty. It's a job. It's a task. It's an intentional act. It doesn't just happen. It's a responsibility we owe to the one who gave his life to open that cell door. It's kind of like if Jesus gave his life to open the door, we have a responsibility to walk out. Otherwise, his work was for nothing. And so it's our task, it's our duty. Every day we walk out and we hear those captors saying things and talking to us and trying to get us to do things and we need to put to death those voices. We need to subdue them. And notice, it's the daily duty of all Christians. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian one day or 60 years. There's no difference at all. It is as much of a responsibility for someone who has, and as much of a need for someone who's been a Christian for 60 years as someone that's brand new. Everybody's in this boat. Everybody has to mortify the flesh every day. It is our daily duty, the daily duty of all Christians, to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's truth number one. Here's number two. Indwelling sin nature abides in every Christian. Indwelling, the indwelling sin nature abides in every Christian. Every non-Christian as well, but it also abides. doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, the indwelling sin nature still abides in you. Extremely important truth to understand. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. And notice the implication. So that you do not do what you want. That wasn't a state of being that got eliminated at some point. Paul's talking about this. This is present. This is going on. You are in conflict with the sinful nature because it's alive and present in your life. It's alive and present in my life. Paul writes in Ephesians, or Philippians, chapter 5, and... Excuse me, that's not a correct reference, so I'll have to... <clears throat> we'll just go by that one. Um, we die to sin. And this is an important phrase. 
We, die to, we are called to die to sin, but sin doesn't die to us. Let me say that again. We are called to die to sin, but sin does not die to us. That sinful nature is alive. One day it will be put off. But indwelling sin abides in every Christian. You, you know that part of you. That, that's a part of you that doesn't want to say I'm sorry. That's a part of you that wants to share that juicy tidbit of, of gospel, of, of gossip. That's, that's the part of you that wants to go back for more when you've already had plenty. We know that part. It, it's the part that wants to quit when we're depressed. It's the one that wishes we weren't in church so we could have had the day off to ourselves. It's, it's the one the part of you that thinks you're not important because you're not as talented or you don't look like somebody else. That's, that's the flesh. That's the sinful nature. That's the one, that's a part of you that wants to, to fantasize about being married to somebody else or to page through the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, or on and on and on. You understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this sinful nature? And here's the good news. As I go scroll through these, and we could go on and on and on, there's not a person in this room that isn't connecting. You are not alone. And I know this from talking to people. There's people, and there's some of you right here today, and you're going, you know, I, I, really, I realize everybody struggles with sin, but man, if people knew how, if people knew the things I thought, if people knew the things that came into my mind, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I'm different. I'm going to tell you something. You are not special when it comes to sin. You are not unique. You're sitting out there thinking, yeah, you know what, I'm, I know there's people, everybody here struggles with sin, but not like me. I'm going to tell you, you're not that special. You're not that different. <clears throat> the Bible teaches very clearly, indwelling sin nature abides in every Christian. So what about a guy like Paul? Well, he told us. He told us exactly what it's like. He writes in, in Romans 7, we know the law is spiritual, but, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to, I agree that the law, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Does that sound familiar? This is the Apostle Paul describing his life experience. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. Paul didn't say, you know what? 
when I died with Christ, I don't know where that evil went, but God took it away. He says, no, when I want to do good, there's this evil, sinful nature, and it's right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work with my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Of course, the answer, thanks be to God, that through Jesus Christ. So, we, we see here Paul's description of, of his experience of this in his own life. Indwelling sin nature abides in every Christian. Here's the third thing that Owen shares and, and is so true. Indwelling sin always acts to bring about the deeds of the flesh. Indwelling sin always acts to bring about the deeds of the flesh. And uh, <clears throat> we'll do this one, and then we're going we're gonna to stop here this morning, and we're going to pick this up next week, um, and we're going to continue going on. We're going to finish this, and, and next week we are going to answer, begin to answer the question. So mortifying of the flesh is so important. How do we do that? How do we experience that? Here it is, this last point. Indwelling sin always acts to bring about the deeds of the flesh. I want you to know something. Romans 7, 21. Paul says, I find this law at work. I find a law at work. You know what? You don't get around laws. You don't get around laws. The law of gravity, if you go up on your roof and shovel the snow off and step off the edge of the roof... I promise you, 10 out of 10 times, you're going down. Right? The law of gravity, it's there. It's always present. Look what Paul says. Paul says, this, this principle that when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He says, I find this law at work. You can't change this. Sin nature is always going to be pushing down on you. Always desiring for the misdeeds of the flesh. You can't get rid of it any more than you can get rid of the law of gravity. It's not going away. The only hope is we can find another law to supersede it, to overcome it. You know like what happens when you get in an airplane and you look around you and you go, man, this plane, how's, how can this plane get off the ground? You ever ask yourself that? But what happens is there's this law of aerodynamics that takes over. <clears throat> and, and you're able to actually overpower the law of gravity, but the law of gravity doesn't go away. You turn the plane engines off, you're going down. The law of gravity continues to work. And so it is in our lives. So it is with this indwelling sin nature. Indwelling sin always acts to bring about the deeds of the flesh. It cannot bring about the things of the Spirit of God. So, <clears throat> here's how far we came today. It's a duty of all Christians to mortify the deeds of the flesh. It's a daily, it's a daily thing that we need to be doing. Every one of us has this abiding sinful nature within us, 
And this sinful nature has but one thing that it does, and that's to bring about the misdeeds of the flesh. It never works for good. It always works to push us down. And that's the dilemma that you and I are in. And that is the dilemma that God has come to give us victory over and to experience power in. And so I want to encourage you to come back next week because this is so vital to each one of us. And uh, we're going to continue to move through this teaching. And this has the power to significantly impact your life and mine. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, you have come to set us free. You have come to, to ultimately destroy those things that are here to destroy us because of your great love for us. And so, Father, this issue of mortification of the flesh is, although it may have a sobering sound to it, it is something that, that you want us to experience so that we might experience the joy and freedom in which you want us to live and walk. And so, Lord, we need this teaching today. Father, I pray also today for, for anyone who has not received the life-giving power of your Spirit, without which we will not have the power to even begin to do this. Father, I pray that they would just open up their hearts to you in that way. Father, we, uh, we ask your blessing now on this offering as we conclude our service. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.